friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my friend, co-host, blues playing, chainer upper and co-host, Alex Dandino. (laughs) Sexy blues. That was a guitar riff. (laughs) There's only two kinds of blues, what comes from the heart. Anyways, guys, the, <laughs> the pod is held captive month is coming to an end. Our final captivity film of the month, Black Snake Moan. I adore this film and can't wait to talk about it. We got to get some business out of the way. Before we start, if you love the show and we hope you do, please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously, guys. It really does. Helps us find more alchemists so we can, uh, you know, have a bigger movie viewing party with everyone. If you want to see our faces, Alex's pixelated face tonight. But normally, if you see Alex in full HD, it's like, ah, it's like the Ark of the Covenant. It's like, ah, Italian this. True, too handsome. Melts the eyes of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on YouTube. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. And you can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your suggestions for movies for us to cover whether they be brand new uh i would say in the theaters but now on demand all on demand (laughs) my friends yeah uh you know people you'd like to hear on the show with us anything guys themes double features whatever let us know business done alex yes when was the last time you would watch black snake moan before today's viewing Ugh, what year was this movie made uh college i think was the last time i saw this movie really <laughs> college yeah because this came out the same year college. as uh this came out the same year as snakes on a plane um yeah college are you fucking kidding me this came out the same year as snakes on a plane this is the second movie that came out uh, with samuel L. jackson and snakes that year uh so best year of any actor of all time yeah i saw this i saw this movie you know it's weird though i saw this movie after it came out on dvd because it was freshman year of college sophomore year of college i watched it on dvd because we rented it when we got snowed in our sophomore year of college i think either way yeah this was an awesome theater movie i'm kind of sad you didn't see this in theaters did not um this movie is crackling with kind of a, a an energy about it, right? This movie was fun yeah, in theaters because yeah. you saw a lot of people show up, and I don't think they knew exactly what this movie was going to be. Right? I'm not sure anyone knew and what this movie was going to be like. I feel like the marketing was pretty clear. Specific? No, uh, it was you not. Know, they don't really hide the fact that he's chaining this lady up. Yeah, but that is like his house. The, but it's fascinating because that is sort of just the beginning of the movie. It is literally, <laughs> by the end, almost inconsequential. Like, it's such a... You know what is the funniest fucking thing? I was watching it today. I was like, you could completely throw away the chained up to the radiator. Th- I mean, the radiator becomes this kind of swamp god by the end of the movie. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. that radiator has a weird extra mysticism to it. But other than that... You could throw away the entire elevator pitch for this movie, which is, uh, you know, religious man 
no, no, no. Fine, sinning young lady and chains her up and will break her of her bad habits. Do you the, could throw that shit out and this movie would operate almost the exact same way. Right, right. But see, here's the thing. You did the 2020 elevator pitch. I want you to do the 2006 elevator pitch for this movie, which is, hey, I'm going to chain Christina Ricci to a radiator with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, okay, yeah, go make that movie. Whatever, it's I, fine. Okay. Let, I don't know that this movie... This movie has... But, <laughs> But therein lies the tragedy of the There's a lot in this movie that can make you uncomfortable if you want. But therein lies the tragedy of the marketing What I love about this movie, movie, right, besides... I... Okay. Fair enough. But I I don't... (laughs) What I like about this movie Mm -hmm. is that I love movies about really broken people, right? Yes. I think a lot of times we get movies about classic heroes... Mm-hmm. We get a lot of movies about people who are having the bad day. Sure. And we get movies about, oh, I'm a a bad person, right? Like, I'm an anti-hero, blah, blah, blah. I feel like we don't get nearly as many earnest portrayals of just broken people, right? Like, right. they're not bad people. They're not evil people, but they're people that are fucking going through it, man. And I think a sure. lot of us relate very much to the, man, I am in it right now like i'm in it i'm down i'm on the edge of the abyss right fuck what is the point of all this right i think a lot of us relate to that stroke and i think this is a really earnest portrayal of people who are just suffering yeah and again maybe i'm a bit biased because of uh where i grew up when i was raised and this and that i saw a lot of people that reminded me of characters in this movie and i don't and think, I think that's one a thing that we do that is ridiculous as movie audiences is a lot of time we look at people and it i think a lot of times in in movies especially which is ridiculous to me because movies are the most intimate art form that can really portray these kind of these emotional bridges right to other people that we find might find hard to relate to in our day-to-day life i think movies are amazing mm-hmm. at bridging those gaps right I think a lot of times we look at people who are having problems that we deem unworthy or self-inflicted and just poo-poo that shit. Right. I I don't know if like like to me this movie hits a couple of really like important checkpoints. Like it checks off a couple of really important boxes as far as like a movie I'd be interested in. Cuz like I'll tell you right now from the outset, the marketing for this movie never intrigued me. I think the idea of a woman being a woman be, the idea of a woman being chained to a radiator is fascinating for approximately the amount of time she's chained to the radiator in this movie. Like, see, I disagree with that completely. Like, what 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 about that? Is you're just like, nope. What about that? Doesn't sound interesting. No, that sounds interesting. It gets you in the door. But my thing is like the point of the movie. That's not even close to like being the core of the movie itself. That's like. Almost just the. You're, ins- you're right about that. It is. That's it is the very Hitchcocky and red but herring. The problem <laughs> is, is that the problem is, is that what I think happened. Like I remember, I remember watching trailers for this movie. Like this movie did not. The trailers for this movie did not tell me what this movie was actually about. Other than Christina Ricci's in a load of shit. She's like a sex crazed maniac, and she gets chained to a radiator, and this guy teaches her the way. Like that to me was what pushed. That's that's what pushes the movie to a certain audience. When you step into this movie, what you really get is, I mean, honestly, it's like a biblical parable set in the South. There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of good. And just like I point immediately, I'll tell you right now, because the other thing that really hits like checks off for me is this 
harkens back to like me and film school watching like B movies from the seventies. This has the, like the titling for it. This has the vibe. This has the shooting quality. Like that's the kind of shit I love. So when I step in, when I step, when I put that DVD in, I was watched it the first time. That's what I was enamored with. But I'll tell you the scene that fucking gets me right. And it's right from the jump. It's not even anything with Christina Ricci. It's that first scene with Samuel Jackson and his ex-wife now ex-wife in yes. that fucking diner yes bitch. and she stopped I'm and, here he's, for this. and he stops her and he's like and he literally like curses her he's like you're gonna regret like that to me i'm like that's the movie i'm here to watch well, he's, he, you better pray woman you better, you better pray. pray and she's like don't you fucking put that cur- don't put that curse on and me that, that's I, the movie i'm here for yes and see that's i i adore that because it's so it's amazing good and powerful it's so good and there's so much of those kind of cutting lines that only married people were like i truly know the depth of that ouch right absolutely where it's just like the line she said that just fucking ripped my guts out was i felt like i was growing old with you Ooh, yeah and you're like oh it's like me and my wife use that as the way me and my wife tried to explain my younger brother got married recently he's seven years younger than me mm-hmm. i still think of him as an actual seven-year-old right he'll always be that kid to me right we're talking about and like the way I remember at one point in our life, like we found this way we describe marriage to people, which is, you know, there's that old Chris Rock joke, right? You can show me the hottest person on planet Earth. I'll show you the person who's tired of fucking them. Right. That shit right. comes and goes. Eventually, the same old thing, the same routine that'll wear off. But me and Amy, our theory is, is like when you're 60, who will you still be excited to wake up, have a coffee and sit on the front porch with? That is the way it goes. And, you know, I mean, that's a pretty cliche way to look at it. And that's that's how we do it, though, is like we just get along and we, you know, I'm just like sitting around her and spending time in her company. Granted, sex is cool. I'll take all that. I'll take more of that. Right. But I think even my own wife would be like, you're okay. You're a lot fatter than when I first met you. It'd be nice to get some more abs grinding on me. Right. Right. You know, so instead of feeling like I'm in a horizontal sumo, it feels like, you know, maybe some cheese grater action, (laughs) you know. Maybe exactly. someone physically more than you, and you have to prey upon that. I hope we have that bond, right? right? But you see the flip side of that in this scene, which is, fuck, man. When you let someone in that close, you see how vulnerable you are to the, the other side Absolutely. of that, right? The closer you are, the, the fucking deeper you can get the knife and the soft tissue. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes that scene so beautiful and brutal, and that's what makes that scene, to me, like, that's the real, like, that's the entrapment in the movie is you come you come because you come because it's a Christina Ricci movie where she's chained to a radiator okay there's like the outset of like <laughs> whatever personally it has a very grindhouse pitch right very much a grindhouse this thing, pitch this movie is frailty this movie is like the room mm-hmm. it's a lot of these guy who's hearing the voice of god right or this or movie the world has a wolf of sin captures a has... sinner woman who will be naked a lot this movie has a women in cages like this is like a Tarantino best pick, you know, like if this was made in 1972, <laughs> this would have been Quentin Tarantino's favorite. Movie all those ever movies made. that took place in all female prisons. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot this, of those if this movie was made in 1972, <laughs> which like based on honestly, like based on the way it is made in some ways very well could be. But like that to me is like this would have been Quentin Tarantino's like favorite movie had it been made back then, but it was made in 2006. And that I think is probably uh, to its credit. It's a, 
it's a fascinating movie that there's no way it would have been made now. Like imagine in 2020 pitching this movie. I think they would have murdered the guy in the room and buried the pitch like in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery just so no one would ever read it again. But the fact of the matter is it was made there, in 2006. There's a chance that's true. The fact I, of the matter is it was again, made at a time where I, I we can, can make movies like I can see the problematic like points, right? There is, of course, sure, problematic. And we talked about it before the show. The biggest problematic point, right? Like, you could say there's a lot of, of slut-shaming, right? Obviously, with Christina Ricci's character. Because there's sure. a point where, it, like, literally everyone in the movie, even the preacher's like, she's a nest of STDs and crabs. And you're like, right. Jesus Christ, like, give her some compassion. Where's the, also, uh, you know, by the, the way, martyrs why are, and the lepers? Jesus. Why are crabs but, being excluded from the STD bunch? You could just say STDs. Crabs are part of it. It because, is what it is. Crabs are of the animal kingdom, right? I mean, yeah. David but- Attenborough might talk about crabs. He's not going to talk about chlamydia. <laughs> That's how I look at it. It's David Attenborough is the one. Neither here nor there. But this is what I mean, right? Everyone in the movie is fucking shaming her, shaming her, shaming her. And I think watching it today and seeing her as this survivor of abuse, and the movie is kind of slow to get to that part, right? Like, they're just playing it up as, look at this. Her boyfriend's been gone a minute. She's writhing on the grass because she as I was like, who wrote this movie? Uh, fucking Jason Lee from Chasing Amy. She just <laughs> right, needs right. a good dick like that has well, to happen. I mean, that's <laughs> like the crazy thing. And that's that to me is the grindhousiness of it. And that's the part that I think will right. start kicking things into gear because, again, the emotional gut punch of Samuel Jackson's character in that scene with his ex-wife is what draws you in. It's like, oh, this is a fucking flick. That scene where you hear like, because the, like the vision, the audio cue is the cicadas. So you hear these cicadas and she starts writhing and kind of grabbing herself. And you're like, oh, this is like a thing. Like she has some sort of, right. there's some sort of detrimental thing going on in her brain. That like, and again, like obviously down the road in the movie, we find out it's something else. But like there was a, like in the movie, I was like, when I started watching it the first time, I was like, is this like a thing where she's just hot and bothered like oh the vapors have overcome i think though the movie takes some steps to avoid that fully very much so there's very much shown in a very good way a part of this is selling us christina ricci is a gorgeous woman of course you want to see uh you know her body of course she would be seductive to the male audience fine i mean yeah that that happens a lot in movies what i think this movie does though that makes it not as creepy to me is because mm-hmm. you're right. Like right off the bat, we start with Laz, and we see him as this guy who his wife cheated on him with his brother. He gets some real pathos, right? You're like, oh, I understand this. I understand his brokenness. Absolutely, that kind of broken makes sense. He's a an earnest, hardworking farmer, right? We see him destroy his wife's garden is a great moment, right? Mm-hmm. She takes a long time to get a moment, right? So she's writhing like, I need dick right now. It's been 1.2 minutes. I need dick. And you're like, well, that's right. intense. Okay. Then she goes to the party and she's just like, I need pills. I need pills. Her, you know, her boyfriend's friend kind of hints at, we all know she cheats. Right. We see her getting plowed by another guy like right away. And he mentions it's not the first time we see her taking pills. And the moment to me that I thought was really fascinating was when we see the, uh, the lingerie league football moment, right? Where they're playing football naked and this leads to just plowing and being deserted. The movie is taking us on this emotional arc with Samuel L. Jackson. Here is this man. You understand his emotions, his heart being broken. He is a pillar of virtue, right? Right. Here is this trash person who's just having sex all the time. 
which again is a really you know kind of old way of looking at people like she's a grown-up if she wants to fuck all day every day who cares right it's a right, kind right. of an old world mindset but it fits this movie what happens mm-hmm. is i think though is the movie's taking all this time to fucking dehumanize her in mm-hmm. the moment that that fucking piece of shit corners her in the car and attacks her it's the first one you're like oh fuck there's a person behind all this shit i'm seeing right she's right. not just the the boobs and shoulder pads and you know, the mm-hmm. the sexy strutting and flipping off the farmer. Yeah. There's an actual person who's being fucking pummeled and left on the side of the street like a piece of trash. Right. And I think that's a really emotional moment for us. And and also, as the movie goes on, too, you start analyzing what Laz thinks he's doing. Yeah. And seeing I think that that's he's the... full of shit just as much as she is. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the strength of the movie as it develops in general is that you question, you completely question Laz's motives because not, not to say that he's a lech or anything like that. And he's going to, you know, jump at her. Cause I don't think at any point in the movie did I think that to be honest with you. Um, to me, the thing that's really fascinating, particularly about Lazarus, Samuel Jackson's character is that he is he's this like prototype character from a long time ago, like not movies from now. Well, he's almost the man with no name from a Western, right? He I wouldn't even go that far. Like, really, what he is, is he's a, I mean, he's a, a it's a I mean, he's a biblical character. Like, it's not just because he's a yeah, God fearing sure. man, but he's a man who sees himself as a healer in some ways, a man who has no business thinking he's a healer sees himself as an ability to heal. Like he has a woman literally dropped at his doorstep almost. And his decision is not, Oh, I should call the authorities. It's I should heal this woman because quite frankly, no one else will understand her because she's in such an incredible amount of pain. I like, this is the thing that I always enjoy about this movie. And the thing that I think is the most prevalent emotional uh, latch that we all have, which is Lazarus sees himself in Christina Ricci's character. Uh, I can never remember. Is you know it Ray? It's is interesting Ray? you say that is because to me, it is Ray. It's Ray. R-A-E. Because I watch with closed caption all the time. I want you to go deeper on that because to me, I watch it as he sees his ex-wife, obviously, right? So he sees this cartoon caricature of a woman who's sexually deviant and out of control, mm-hmm. as he determines. And he's projecting his wife on that, right? Like, there's the classic scene, because he seems like just a good guy who wants to get her medicine. Right. Wants to heal her wounds, whatever. Right. But he hears that she is a, you know, a wild woman from Tyrone. And... uh he goes back to his house and he's holding her and she reaches up to kiss him, right? Saying right. Tyrone's name. She's mm-hmm. having fever dreams of an abuser that now we're clued into the lighter and all that. Right. The shadowy white figure, mm-hmm. right? That we know is not Laz, right? So we know something has happened. She right. reaches up and in her fever, she kisses him and he runs out and a Bible falls on the ground at his feet. Right. And we're never clued into the Bible verse, which I think is brilliant. Because what they're telling us is just the Bible itself is enough superstition to where when you read that shit right. and you fully believe in the Bible, you start seeing angels and demons everywhere. Well, so I in mean, this moment, all of his kind of false narratives come together. She's right. a less than because she's a slut and got beat up. His mm-hmm. wife is a less than because she truly found love with someone else. His brother, who seems like he's trying to make it okay. Granted, uh, don't fuck your brother's wife and expect you're going to be friends at a bar. Right. That's stupid. 
Uh, you know, so, but you see, like, he thinks of her as a less than in a way. He thinks of his wife as a less than in a way. And he thinks of himself as some kind of, you know, seer where he knows the truth better than they do. Right. And you see the toxic nature of that, right? When you're hurt, that's what I think is different about this movie is you see the way that hurt and traumatized people can spread that shit out right. to anyone near them. Well, I mean, I think that this is why I would, this is why I push back on it being his version of like helping his wife because okay, to me, like to me, to me, like his wife is the curse he puts on his wife, so to speak. That is, mm-hmm. that is, that is, um, I mean, you know, if you've ever been broken up with, that is something you say, like, you know what? Just to me, like, I think about like, um, there's a, I had one put on me and it is horrible, (laughs) but like, I think about like the line, there's a line that I always love. And I've actually said this to people before because people that I fucking despise who I think are just pieces of shit in this universe. Um, it's actually a line from 300 and literally the, it's when, um, (laughs) I know it's weird. It's when, um. It's when oh god, I can't, it's when Gerard Butler looks at the guy from the movie and he goes, "I hope you live forever." Like that to me, that's that's just saying, "I hope you live long enough to see everything you love die, and I hope you live long enough to remember it." Like that, I think is probably that's a fate worse than death, in my opinion. So to me, when you curse someone, in the I was way hoping that, you were gonna say, "There's a line in this movie that stuck with me forever," and I say it to all my enemies: "Is ain't no care for the blues like some good pussy." <laughs> But okay, but in relation, not in relation. <laughs> I love how you just are like, anywho, you literally just anywhoed me. <laughs> not in relation, no, but not in relation to that, but kind of. So when the Bible falls on the ground, the line that everyone keeps repeating, yeah, is, everyone, everyone keeps saying, "I, I ain't gonna be moved. I will not be moved." And that is like that is the that is the paraphrase well, again. The I'm line not, that uh, she says, right? But the line she says that imitates what his wife said is. You think I give a fuck what these people think about me? Right. I remember that. But see, here's the thing, though, is he doesn't. I don't think and he that see, is different he sees, than Laz, because in a weird way, Laz does. It's a flash of his wife. Sure. Because but that's. Yeah, it's a flash yeah. of his wife. But what that's reminding him is the pain. It's the pain of someone willing to walk out okay. on you thinking, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks about me. If I'm going to walk out on you, I'm doing something for myself. So what he sees is not necessarily his yeah. wife. What he sees is the ability to rectify his own misgivings and his own mistakes within his marriage, just because he was a good guy. Look, yeah. if you're willing to sit there and pass judgment on someone and say, I put a curse on you. Like I curse you. Like you go about your life, live your life. If you're not willing in that moment, Lazarus is absolutely justified in doing that. But there is an aspect of it where if you're not going to reflect on your own misgivings and on your own, on your own yeah. life within your marriage, because we, like you were saying, like, look, I love my wife. Like, I just want to sit on the couch and hang out with her. But I know, too, that that sentiment of I want to grow, you know, I felt like I was growing old with you, which is, of course, something that is horrible to say to someone who could cut you to the quick. That still is kind of true, man. Like, there is something like there's yeah. about it's about like it's not about fire. Like, I think that's the thing that happens with romantic love a lot of the time. What but what? marriage is and what like i feel for my wife and that kind of thing is true passion passion for someone living with you and that i think is where lazarus is kind of fucked up because lazarus did not understand how to express that which is why like music becomes so important the blues becomes so important it's why that scene where he sings that song is so pivotal because 
literally the literally he is keeping the lights on he is keeping the darkness out with his music that's like that's the pivotal moment well, in the movie also itself. when he starts playing you see how much he can move other people and make emotional bonds with them and exactly. you're like well, she said she felt old and stagnant and he said he hadn't played for anyone in years but exactly. this is it's one of those things that i hate i hate talking to married people sometimes like i have other married friends and when you, you're married and you have kids, like you fall into these conversations where like, we're, we're talking about kids now and parenting. Right. Like, dude, we all do it our own way. We all kind of, whatever. Like, people have theories. I hate talking to married people. They're like, yeah, my wife is uh, the most beautiful woman in the world and I only have eyes for her. But it's like, hey, man, you and your wife definitely jerk off to and or fantasize about fucking other humans. Don't fucking lie to yourself. Right. Like, right now, I look like fucking Dollar Tree jason momoa because my wife would rather fuck him than me and i know that and i'm okay with that right when you put us side by side and do a tale of the tape it's not really that close stop lying to yourself guys right. your wife wants to fuck other dudes you want to fuck other women it's fine because it's not about that right but that's right. that's the fucking part is that samuel jackson sees that very clear very obvious moment Mm -hmm. Every fucking married person knows. I can't remember who it was. It was a Kant, right? The philosopher who's talked about our childish mindset what's, where what we only do good and, things because we expect good rewards. You've been reading a Dude, lot I of read philosophy? a lot of philosophy because I feel like I'm dumb right and I want to expand my... I read a lot of shit I don't understand because I hope that like I'll get smarter by like 0.01%, which is a big deal for a dumb dumb like me. But anyways, fuck you. I'm trying to make a point. But he says, right, we have this childish mindset where even in spouses and partners, we only look at them as a, a mean to an end. How do they make us better? How do they gratify what we want? How can I change them to to complete what I feel is wrong and deficient in me? Right. And that's wrong. Right. And so Samuel L. Jackson's looking at this young girl and judging the shit out of her. She had a good thing with Ronnie. She they have a really good loving emotionally charged relationship that him and his wife didn't have yet he's still sitting there fucking pushing this old school biblical bullshit yeah about a man and a woman should lay together don't rut in the ground like two dogs and heat it's like hey man your wife left you because you had no heat yeah you had no fucking gotta, heat gotta have the heat you gotta have the heat and the problem is is she knew it knows you have the, have the heat, heat because you got that which guitar. is why the radiator becomes the radiator becomes the pig's head in Lord of the Flies, right? Absolutely. And did you notice every motherfucker in the movie that touches the radiator, the heat has an emotional epiphany, right? Christina Ricci eventually becomes comforted by it, right? Mm -hmm. She touches it. I mean, granted, then she is shown accosting like a 12-year-old. Not a strong decision from a storytelling perspective. Uh, she should have left I Love Chris out of it or whatever that actor's name was. That was some bullshit. Uh, as a scene, right? But she touches I mean, the radiator and feels it. Laz touches the radiator, and what does he say? I will not be moved. Yeah. Right? Justin Timberlake melts against the radiator when he realizes he's not a killer. Mm -hmm. They all have that. And what does his wife say in the cafe when she leaves? That radiator burnt my skin off, and it repulsed her. She knew her truth was not in that house with Lazarus. The radiator is God! But that's a great, but that's, but, and I think that's like another really important thing too, is like along with the radiator is the movie's central theme is not just like redemption and like finding yourself. What it is, is about, it's about the faith you must have in yourself to carry on. Like that I think is like yeah. 
everybody has these crippling like particular i mean laz and ray are obviously the most prevalent every time they are left like when they are left like those first <laughs> scenes when they are left are so pivotally pivotally emotional because they feel as if they have nothing else to give they feel as if they have no control over their lives they have no control over the faith they once had in themselves and granted ray hasn't had faith yeah. in herself for a long time as we find out but together okay walk me walk me through this i think the way they portray ray in this movie is probably not the strongest direction they could have gone right walk me through ray and the chain and this kind of turn she has what did you make it didn't bother me as much when i first watched it i watched it today and i was like Honestly, when she just is touching the radiator and she's afraid, she's cowering from the man who victimized her. Mm. And then she just essentially sexually assaults this like preteen kid who wants lima beans or whatever the fuck he's getting. Butter beans. That felt really fucking strange to me. Right? Like that scene sat where I was like, that I don't like. And then especially when Samuel Jackson's in the barn's like, have a smoke. You plowed some pussy. And you're like, ooh, what? That's the girl you're trying to save. What the well, fuck? <laughs> to be fair. All right. So that scene did not strike me as odd personally, mainly because that is the last. It's the last temptation. It's the last straw. What it is. It's the last time Lazarus. It's the last time that Ray has to confront her emotions alone. And she's not strong enough to in the first place, because to me, while the radiator is God, to me, the chain for Ray is this ever-changing emotional bond she has with her uh, life, with her abuser, with Lazarus, with her, with Ronnie, with everybody. So remember, at the beginning yeah. of the movie, she literally bolts out the, or not the beginning of the movie, but the beginning of the scene where she realizes she's chained up. She literally bolts out of the fucking door. It's keeping her. It's holding her hostage. It's holding her. It's holding yeah. her close to that radio. Holding her. It's pulling her closer to God because Lazarus physically pulls her back in. It's pulling her closer yeah. to God. So, the outside the world radiator God. Right. Yeah. So the boy coming into the house <laughs> is the outside world tempting her one last time, and Lazarus acting as essentially God's emissary sure. shows up and says no. This is not happening that, anymore. I will not be moved. Then that's the part of the movie that I I kind of fucking hate. Like if I'm but, being honest, this is the segment that I fucking hate, right? Because that kid is shown to us to be a good, polite kid, right? They sure. don't even give him the like. Well, maybe he's you know like a troublemaker. You know what I mean? Like a a Corey Feldman type, if you will, right? Like he's just a kid who seems really polite and he's doing a job. He's coming by to do a job. Sure. And when she grabs him and it's just no so nonchalant, it's very strange to me, right? Like, I was reading a lot about this today because, again, I know these are kind of hot topic, you know, things to discuss, right? So I didn't want to just dive in with nothing, right? And I read a sure. lot about, you know, people who suffer these kind of things and mm-hmm. the way that we get traumatized at a certain state. Like, a lot of problems that we have as adults right are because of you know abnormal events that happen in our sexual development right right? like that's a really prevalent thing that a lot of us deal with i think especially as americans a lot of our like i talked my mom is one of those people like she would let me watch 
any murder spree movie ever when I was a kid. Right. But if there was a titty, you would have thought well, that's... like I was murdering the dog in front of her, right? Absolutely. Like, you can't see a titty, but you can watch a thousand murders. And so, but there, there's this, the the way that they have Christina reach, because it, again, I think it's interesting the way, like the scene that struck me was when she wraps herself in the I was chain, just right? about to say, this is like, to me, this is the changing of the guard in general. Like that happens after she, um, right. That happens after she tries to have sex with the 15-year-old boy, which, by the way, if you're 15 years old, no matter how See, I good, thought that happened before. Okay. If you're 15 years old. I thought that happened before. I think it happens yeah. after. Because, look, if you're 15 years right. old, no matter how good you are, I don't care who you are, if, if a scantily clad Christina Ricci approaches you when yeah. you walk into a house asking for butter beans, you're giving her your butter beans. It is what it is. I don't know what to tell you. That's life, all right? That, no. is, that is Boys will be if boys. If a scantily clad woman from room 237 approaches you and you're a 13-year-old dude, you're going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's not a scantily the, the clad. Version, it's not too. a scantily clad woman from room 237. It's a scantily clad Christina Ricci in the South. Anyways. So, sure. but you're right, though. No, I mean, I, I agree. But I'm saying I, I wish that. But the her- here's the weird thing. R- riddle me this, right? Riddle me this. I think because this is the weird thing. Lazarus's redemptive arc seems to have nothing to do with Christina Ricci to me by the end but of the I movie. But I think that's a really important. His redemption is going into town and talking to Miss Annie. And he's like, oh, there's still a really decent person that sees a lot of value in me. I don't think his redemption is in Christina Ricci or the music. It's I think not. That had is, he never met her, he that, would have but that's a really eventually gotten back to right. That's write. a really important thing about this movie that I'm really glad it doesn't do is turn Samuel L. Jackson's character into, forgive me, Bagger Vance, essentially. Like, that is not what this movie is about. That is not what the point of this movie is. Like, this is not... Samuel Jackson teaches Christina Ricci how not to be a sex maniac. This is about the redemptive quality of faith in yourself that you give to other people by simply existing, which is why when Christina Ricci wraps herself in the, herself in the chains themselves, that is her becoming closer to God or faith or whatever you feel uh, Christina Ricci needs to become closer to. It's about her recognizing that those chains are not See, there. I took that as like an, she's armoring against... No, those the hard reality. Those chains are right? her. Like she's, those chains are her realizing that that that's it's the change of chains keeping her down. It's a chain protecting her. It's it's true. It's exactly but that's what, what I mean. She's ar- She's she, using sure. It's armor. the thing that is bonding her to her trauma. She's using it to say, "I right. will armor up." And, and then by this, the right? time, like and then by the time, which again it happens really fast. So like this chain literally exists for like I don't know twenty minutes of the movie. By the time that's what what I'm saying, man, that's it's a weird decision to me, but it makes sense because the idea is that this is no longer a chain. It's a it starts as a chain to keep you and then it becomes a place to protect you. It's the chain grows from being that that feels like a pretty big metaphorical stretch to me, I guess, is the hard thing I saw. Because this is the thing. Well, look, I know that Terrence Malick didn't make Black Snake Moan, but I'm certain I'm certain that metaphors are not inescapable (laughs) elsewhere. (laughs) Hey, as a guy who really stretches metaphors to their absolute limit, let me say, look, I apologize that Terrence Malick's Black Snake Moan did not make it to theaters. (laughs) However, Craig Brewer did a fine job. You would watch that movie. Don't act like that's a jab. You would watch that movie. Cameras in. No, here's out. what I'm saying though. I I like the part when he unchains her and and I think what he says is, Who am I to judge you, man? Like people are gonna do what they're gonna do. Exactly. I like the the movie where 
it is two broken people who have suffered horrendously mm-hmm. who are thrown down. And essentially it's kind of like two stones hitting rock bottom at the same time. And, you know, through each other, like the scene when they go and he's like, hey, there ain't no point to this. We're both night owls. Let's go. Right. And he goes and plays at the bar for the first time in ages. And it gets into this theory I have that music is all fucking sorcery. Right. I think music is untrustable sorcery. It's, yes. it's not okay. 100 percent. So I was saying I said this on a on some I do so many podcasts. I can't remember. But I was like, does anyone else think it's weird that you're just in a bar? Let's say there's 200 people there. Bohemian Rhapsody comes on. 195 of those people stop everything they're doing to sing along in unison and headbang. I'm like, that's fucking brainwash magic. Like, that's scary. Right? But anyways, we get to this point, and those two go in the bar, and all of a sudden, in each other at the bottom, through their struggles, they found someone or something about, through each other, they find something about themselves that's worth fighting for. Sure. That part of the story I really like. I do wonder if this movie could exist. If the chain is only for marketing purposes, what does this movie look like without the fucking chain to the radiator? I mean, then it's a true captain movie. It feels stupid to Christina Ricci's character, I guess is my point. I guess because even at the end when she puts the chain on, right, the gold wedding chain, it feels off to me. I guess without the radiator, this just basically becomes parasite with less intrigue. Well, no, it's misery without the hobbling and yeah, book. Sure, that too. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's uh, again. I don't. I have less of a problem with that. I there's there's a lot of I, I have a problem with how people perceive this movie. Once you watch it, you have a very different opinion of it. But I think the perception of this movie is very. Uh, the perception of the movie is this movie is very. It's it's fascinating. Uh, Actually, Christina Ricci. I, I read this. She will. She refuses to sign memorabilia from this movie. One hundred percent. She will really? not sign Why DVDs. Why is that? Did she explain? She believes that the marketing team did like cut trailers, put together posters, and so on and so forth to make it meaninglessly exploitative. Because she worked apparently very hard on this character and that kind of thing. Let's see, but well, but I mean, it's got to be among her best performances. It is, but. That's not, but the movie itself is like, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thought experiment and like what you expect from a movie. Because again, like to me, you walk into this movie expecting women in cages, which to me is not a very deep movie. And you walk out with a little bit, I mean, to to be honest with you, you walk out with a much deeper understanding of faith, of uh, how you uh, perceive yourself to others and just in general, how you live your life productively. Not necessarily by chaining yourself to a radiator, but simply by existing no. as you should in the world. You per, yeah. like you you selflessly give your light to others. To quote another, uh, to quote yeah, to quote another Samuel Jackson. Movie. That's the weird split, though, right? This movie walks between two worlds, and I there's a part of me that I really like this movie. I really like the power of this movie. Right? Me too. And again, I grew up around a lot of like a lot of people I still know and interact with regularly. They remind me of people in this movie, just people that have had it hard, you know. And what I like about this movie, what it really captures about those people that, you know, I know and I grew up as one of these people is the kind of hills and valleys. Right. Like one little thing can mean so much to you yeah. and how resilient you get. And you just get so used to taking it on the chin. 
and and this is this is what I like, right? I I love the story of because at the end of the movie, what it becomes is two really fucking broken people that have been through a lot. One obviously dramatically more than the other, right? One is kind of self-inflicted loss, and the other one is, you know, criminally traumatized by assault. But at the end, there it's just these two people that, in their most hopeless moment, they kind of collide, and there's right. a, a bond of decency that ties. Like one of the things the movie does a lot, right, is they they start showing Christina Ricci touching people in non-sexual ways right so you mm-hmm. see this you see this you see her stand up to her mom you know like you should have and see her like going back and forth between this hard you know i can face it and uh, also like sagging back into that abused little girl when her mom grabs her mm-hmm. and so there but that's what i mean there's this fucking line where there's a version of the movie where it becomes kind of exploitation frailty where you're examining this struggle from kind of a more genre protected way sure or there's this drama where it's just a person who has nowhere else to go sits in this place and then eventually through seeing the good mentorship of a guy who's also going through it gets better and i don't know that going all the way one or the other does right i do feel like christina ricci's character is a bit underserved in this movie weirdly enough sure like what they what they give her with justin timberlake is really endearing yeah, kind of. Well, I think the problem is, is they give her what they give her with Justin Timberlake comes way too late in the movie and almost right. loses its emotional resonance because essentially the last scene. It's essentially the very last scene yeah. of the movie. It's a big problem, though. <laughs> like, I think to me, that is like the real crime of the movie, I guess. And the reason I, if I'll be honest, like the end of this movie is the thing I dislike the most. Like the ending to... is bad. The ending is real. But no, like the wedding scene is great. And I was like, look at these. These people like forging ahead in this rough sure. world. Look, the wedding scene the, is the lovely, driving but scene. You're like, Ugh. yeah, like that is like knockoff. Like you're saying, it's like knockoff graduate doesn't quite ring true. And there's a little yeah, bit about and also that. You're that, like, like, I get it. It's going to go bad for them. Like he's having well, anxiety. She starts like itching her knees. And I'm right. like, Ugh. well, I mean, that's I think the Ugh. thing is you don't just like you don't make a movie about two broken people coming together with to an understanding and then give one broken person to another broken person going, well, they'll fix each other. That's not right. how life works. That's not how anything works. Right. And that's definitely not how uh, narrative storytelling works over a three act structure. You don't just introduce the B plot character at the very end of the movie again and be like, Oh, it's all good. That's not a very good bow to put on anything in my opinion, but well, th- that's a good point you bring, right? Because here's the thing. Lazarus is essentially going through a very normal problem that a lot of us face. Uh, Getting older, aging before we should. We lose that zest for life. Our partner's not interested. Again, every married couple fantasize about fucking other people. I hate to break this to you guys. Be honest with yourself. It's happening. Like, that's a fact. So, but he loses that extra thing that keeps us all bonded together. That real, like when she turns around in that diner and says, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you no more. You're like, oh, my God. So this is a guy going through normal problems who then commits a fucking crime, like a real fucking crime. A legit And the movie just says it's not a big deal that it's a crime. Even the pastor who you love because it's an endearing performance is Ariel. He's like, it's cool because she's a sinner. (laughs) We just kind of gloss over. And so – Lazarus's arc is so much smaller than hers is to me, but we focus on him and Samuel Jackson was a great performance. And again, it's not nothing to lose the love of your life and have to restart at that age. And 
He gives this amazing performance, and the storytelling of the blues scenes are great. But Christina Ricci is victimized. She's fucking victimized. And then that causes her to adopt these behaviors that keep her being victimized. Right. And it gets brutal and bad. And then when it gets to its worst, we say, here's a normal guy who just fucking chains her up. And she's better off for it. Like, that's where it bothers me. Like, if you're going to do the, the, because again, I'm with you. It feels like an exploitation film. Yeah. And when you put it in that kind of surreal genre armor, then you can just kind of play with it more. But the fact that then he unchains her so fast and is like, hey, we're back in the real world and we're just best buddies. It right. feels like the chaining then is just kind of telling us that they don't understand that this needs to be better. Yeah. And explaining well, Christina Ricci, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is the movie is certainly told from a male point of view. So yeah. you get the resolution and you sort of get the understanding of Lazarus's story and Ray's sort of written in this weird happily ever after thing that doesn't quite mesh simply because <laughs> yeah like you're right like there's no way this works out like <laughs> well that final scene they literally are like thank god ray's here to lay on justin timberlake so he can exist in the world yeah, exactly <laughs> you're like what the fuck because that moment with her and and uh laz where he's just kind of hugging her and it is this really like father and adopted child moment that is really touching or he's like, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay, right? It's just, we'll face life together. And you get this really kind of nice sense. Yeah. And then again, it just ends with her going back to just another broken guy and hoping he doesn't mess her. I mean, it's, it's the thing. I don't always love movies about broken people that at the end feel like they need to fix them all the way because I think those of us that have lived long enough, you know that most people, what's broken in us, rarely is all the way ever fixed and when it is it's fragile and yeah. we just hope but i i, I do because that's the thing this movie kind of at a point it becomes midnight run with christina ricci and a radiator yes and you're like she could have been more yeah like they could have done more explaining like what she went to and instead of having her assault a fucking 14 year old dude we could have gone more into those fucking nightmares and why ronnie matters more and and this is the thing that I think really pissed me the fuck off this viewing that I didn't think about before is that uh, Hillbilly Friend didn't get his comeuppance for what he did to her. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that is probably one of the more again, everything regarding Ronnie in general is probably the most frustrating aspect of this movie. I yeah. think Ronnie and as it relates to because you're right, actually, now that I think about it, in this is what. This is what I think bothers me more than anything about the scene where she tries to fuck the little kid. Not the little kid, sorry, yeah. the 14-year-old boy, or 15, whatever he is. Like, and presumably all the way does. <laughs> right. I would say that is actually the thing that I think, like, there's a lot about her abuser, who's obviously like her stepfather or whatever. She, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember her, like, really touching on Ronnie much throughout the film as a being an emotion, like, that being emotional stakes for her a lot. Like she says that he's her happy place and that he says she fixed him, but it's pretty amorphous. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it comes and goes. But to me, that should be sort of a monumental emotional beat for her is right. coming to the realization that because that would make that ending that much more powerful. It's like coming to the yeah. realization for me 
that Ronnie and Ray belong together, not because they are two broken people who deserve each other, but because they make each other better. And granted, they right. try to do that at the end yes, a little bit. They become each other's lighthouse. That's but that's what I mean. By the time she starts laying that out, we've already seen her right. fuck how many people and it's shown as trashy. It's shown as not emotional and right. And that's what I mean. They they really run a ragged in the first act. And again, I'm with you. If if her and Ronnie matter that much, it needs to be more right. Like the synchronized watches is actually a really loving yeah idea, right? Like that's a good use in a script. I love the scene when he hears it on the bus or plane, and you see him like, oh, okay, it's her. I I'm glad I have her, and she's laying on the side of the street after being victimized again. Yeah, and you're like that the, the the reality of her trauma, she is not able to think of Ronnie. So she's, you know, suffering even more on top of the horrific shit we've already seen. But yeah, I mean, that that's the part that I just couldn't quite get over, right? Well, and I think that's the tough part, and that's what makes it, you know, and again, I hate to characterize and over, you know, overdo it, but that's what I think makes it kind of this grindhousey B movie is like yeah. a lot of the time those kinds of movies had these varied resolutions. Like I think like something I absolutely love is mystery science theater 3000 and granted they like watch just dog shit movies, <laughs> but a lot of the movies they watch were movies that were, you know, grindhouse sci-fi movies. And a lot of them had these resolutions that were like oddly bows on top of the movie but didn't really work when you thought about the actual plot structure and the actual emotional stakes. So I think that is, that is like where black snake moan fails epically is giving Ray the proper emotional send off for the end of the movie. Lazarus really gets a great beat with one of my all time favorite actresses, uh, um, uh, Markinson. Like she's amazing. I absolutely dude, how fucking good is she in this? Movie? She's so good, dude. That scene when she starts singing to him and he runs, oh he doesn't even acknowledge God. her and he I'm runs to the grocery store right now. Yeah, you're like, dude, that's that's the shit they play in the the pre Oscar montage. You know, like yeah. <laughs> this actress is nominated. Here's the scene. Why? That's the scene they play. Absolutely. Fuck that. She's so good. But that's what I mean. The actors are brilliant. The emotions are real and raw. And, and what I'll give the movie a pass on is the the real world is so messy. Yeah. And I think a lot of times in movies, especially, we 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 take the edge off and we try to make everything like what we're talking about now. Like we want Ray to be a more streamlined vessel to carry the message of this. Right. Yeah. Hey, man, people aren't like that, though. Sure. People I are mean, fucking that's messy. And they don't always get the happy ending, and maybe the the happiness is temporary, and it all shatters again, and they have to be picked up again. Right. That's how this shit happens more often than not, right? You know, and we all think about our own lives, and that that rings true. What I, I, I am, a, I do wonder. That's what I mean. This is one of those movies I love, and I think there is power in this movie. Yeah, like I, t I talk about it a lot. There are some movies you watch. And you feel the fucking mage hand, right? Another D&D term. You feel the mage hand reach out and fucking touch you. Yeah. You feel the movie physically touching you. And the power of it is washing over you. Like, holy shit. And it's a kind of magic. And this movie has that. Right. There are scenes and moments 
undeniably breathtaking and captivating. I mean, and that's what I do feel. There's some misguidedness. What I wonder is by the end of the movie, if they do a good enough job of telling us every fucking person, though, is misguided. Like they're not trying to tell us someone's right. We get the sense that Laz is going to be better off uh, than Ray. But the preacher even says and the preacher is honestly another one of those like amazing character actors who gives a great performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, his line when they're doing like the faux counseling, like that's going to fix it. Right. Is uh, he's like, hey, man, we're not here to fix you. We're not here to, like, try to earn points for some heaven uh, when I'm done living, right? Right. I'm trying to figure out right now how I can be the best I can be and make the most of the time I got. And that, that's what I wonder if I, if I wonder if the filmmakers thought they injected enough doubt into everyone that they weren't saying that Laz was right. Well, I mean, I think that... You know what I mean? I mean, that's, see, this is, like, the thing. And, again, I, I enjoy this movie. I think it's... I think it's a great t- it's a great story. I do think that that is it's interesting. That to me is almost hedging your bets as a filmmaker and as a like as a storyteller in general is like what you're trying to do is make sure that your audience Jonathan Cothran, by the way, Jonathan Cothran. Oh, that's thank the you. actor's name who plays the that, that to me is, I always forget name. <laughs> that to me is the problem is like your what you're trying to do is make sure your audience comes away with that ambivalence and I think the reason you and I like we talk about this a lot is the reason you and I don't like that is because I don't like having movies do the work for me. Like I expect yeah. Marvel movies to do the work for me. I expect big sure. tent pull movies to do a majority of the thinking that I don't need to need or want to do for them. Right. But this is the kind of movie where I should be able to draw all my own conclusions and do all my own thinking for myself. And I think what's weird is when a director makes the decision to give everyone sort of this ambivalence, I already know. I literally watched a guy chain a woman to a radiator and she didn't like murder him when she, when he got, when he got, when he got wise to let her go. Like the only thing I thought about, right. Is there, there is a sub, there's kind of like a submarining element to Sam Jackson saying, I will not be moved. And he points a gun at his fucking friend, the preacher, right? Which was a great scene. He's like, what the fuck it's a great scene but you're like look at how fucking out it shows you that this guy is criminally insane for the moment right what he's done to her he's willing to put a gun to her he's yelling and kicking this fucking kid Mm -hmm. right because he didn't lock his fucking house and he has this crazy person inside as he deems her right right so it shows you that he's all fucked up himself and that he actually might be the one who gets saved in that moment by ariel more than her right and so there is this kind of lampooning moment of while he is shown as the one who captures her and is instilling God in her through, you know, Ariel or whoever, and he makes her better. There's a moment I was struck by at the end when she's in the car and things get hard again and she starts rubbing her knees. Like I said, she wraps her hand in the gold wedding chain. And so what the movie might be telling us is that She's not fixed, and Lazarus wasn't right. He just gave her a different coping mechanism. Right. So instead of running around and, like, when when the hardness, the hard stuff hits, right, the, the hardness of life is too much, instead of just I will get casual sex, now I will put a lot of effort and thought into this chain and that. And, it you know, it's just another coping mechanism at the end. So maybe 
the movie is not as resolute as we are making it out to be. Perhaps. But, but I, I, again, I do wish if I could do this movie, and I get it because Samuel Jackson, it's such a powerhouse performance, and I know they need to get to those blues scenes, which are stunning. They're amazing. But I think if you shift this movie a little bit to the side and we run the game through Christina Ricci's character, the one who is victimized, the one whose trauma is not her own fault, right? And then Laz is the the secondary character, right? Because his trauma is essentially his own. Like, he didn't cheat on his wife, but he was not as good of a husband as he could have been, this and that. So run the run the movie through Christina Ricci and have Laz learn from her, right. but have her. That's the problem to me is that she's not making her own choices. Right. The first choice she makes in the movie that seems to be fully of her own volition is when Laz unchains her and she's like, I'll stay. Just play a song for me. Right. And that to me is a little too late and a little too little, man. Like, I want to see her going through that journey more than him, right. in my opinion. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's the thing that makes the movie less good. But I guess like if there's going to be one give, it's still an emotional roller coaster. It's still a great Yeah. It's still a great way to tell a story about two damaged people revealing yeah. themselves to each other in like really vulnerable ways. Cause again, I I agree with you, like yeah. music is magic, but I also like there is I don't think there's anything more vulnerable. Like I used to play music in high school. And I, I don't think there's anything more vulnerable than playing music for somebody like that is you have to really yeah. care enough to want to play for someone. And that, I think, is the really beautiful thing yeah. about all the scenes with Laz actually playing is like the reveal is so emotional because of that. So to me, while this movie has its deficiencies, Black Snake Moan does such a good job with the things that it's yeah. trying to hammer home. It's almost innocuous. And kind of just turns into it sort of just fades away and you just enjoy the film for what it is. Yeah, and that that's what I think this movie does such a great job of earnestly portraying people who are are struggling and traumatized and how they're dealing with it. And, you know, perhaps when those two characters come into contact with each other, the movie's not as strong as it could. Again, I don't know that this movie gets anyone to watch without the chain, right? Like that chain to the radiator is the the weird moment where you're it's, like, oh, it's, it's, like we just covered Lars and the real girl, right? Yeah. That movie has nothing to do with a guy in a fuck doll, essentially. Right. That's a guy on an emotional journey, it's right? A broken man who's trying to like figure out how to be a normal guy. But the fuck doll is what gets you in the theater. It's the hook. Christina Ricci being chained up and held against her will. That's what gets you in the theater. And then you go on this really intense earnest journey through trauma and again i don't think it's always handled perfectly but in real life i think often that is how these things play out it man. is good no less yeah and that that's what i mean is the acting is phenomenal and the 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 power of this movie it's just so it's so crisp and how it's cut and edited it has this crackling energy about it and again i don't i don't think it it hand but you know Again, this is me and you talking about it. These are really tough issues to tackle. Yeah. And I don't think there's a right way to tell someone who was victimized, oh, well, you were victimized. This is how all victimized people handle shit and work through it. That's just not <laughs> right, how it works. Right. Man. You know, and to what degree people are victimized, that's another kind of like, you know, 
fool's errand. You know, yeah. like we all, everyone has their problems and how they deal with them, and life is fucking messy. But what I love about this movie is you get actors really fucking reaching down deep and going for it. Yeah, and the earnest decency of these people even when they're broken and other characters are telling us that they're less thans we don't ever feel that way or i didn't feel that way i really emotionally bonded with the two characters and yeah i mean i i think that is the the impressive thing about this movie man agreed that's it for black snake moans that's it for the pod is held captive month next month the pod is editing genetics edit genetics uh, so movies about splicing genes and the horrific results that come uh, thereafter. If you Again, if you like the show, and we hope you do, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts app. That helps us out a ton. Please. Get at us on all your social medias. Let us know what movies you'd like to see us cover, people you'd like to be on the show, anything like that. We love to hear from you. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. And join the fun on YouTube. Yes. Uh, Nerd Alchemist, that's plural with an S at the end, is our channel name. You can find this show, our other show, The Long Box Sessions, which is more comic book, pop culture. Uh, trailer reactions, other mini content. We're starting to make more and more of that over on YouTube, hopefully. Uh, so thanks, guys. Thanks for all that. Thanks for being held captive with us. It made our time pass a little easier. We'll see you uh, for genetic mad science. For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Tandino. And I will not be moved.